Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. tell you john i have never ever made like a complete snowman in my life i've never i mean i have made snowman attempts and i have played in the snow with my niece and nephews when i was a kid i'm a little jelly of you because i heard a rumor that you made how many snowmen today with your little guy we made two snowmen. So this is this is a really exciting time because this is the second snow that we've had um, since like around Christmas time. And the first time it snowed, it, it never quite got to the point where it was the sort of snow that would stick enough to make a snowman, which was pretty disappointing because uh, my son is two and he just watched the animated movie, The Snowman, for the oh. first time. Classic, right? So good. And he loves it. He absolutely loves it. We watched it like so many times. And... Uh, Building a snowman was like something he was asking me about a lot during the last snow, and we just never could make it happen. So as soon as this snow started, he was in the window going, build snowman, build snowman, build snowman. So we built two. It was a pretty fun experience. That sounds awesome, John. And I got to tell you, the snowman is in my top five Christmas movies, episodes, things I've got to watch during the holidays. If I don't watch anything else, I got to watch the snowman. And I've got to probably watch some version of A Christmas Carol, which is as natural as your transition into the podcast as there's ever been. So, John, what are we doing here? Well, this is Jacob Marley is Dead. Thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where we wax philosophical about the beauty of the animated short film, The Snowman. But mostly we talk about A Christmas Carol. I am John, your host. I am James, your sidekick. We're going with sidekick, huh? Is that sticking? I, I mean, I don't think I'm, I mean, you could call me co-host if you want, John, but I don't, the amount of work you put into this thing, uh, you're Batman, I'm Robin here, okay? But, but I'm Tim Drake, though, all right? As long as I'm Tim Drake. I'm not, I'm not Dick Grayson, I'm not your ward, and um, I'm not uh, Jason Todd because he's a lame character. So you, you, you didn't steal the wheels off my car? Is that no, what you're I saying? figured out you were Batman and put it all together because I'm really smart. So, like, I'm Tim Drake. I'm not Damian Wayne. I'm Tim Drake. You're Bruce. I'm okay with that. You don't want to be my son, James? You don't want to be my little boy? <laughs> moving along moving along into the podcast here. anyhow and this week uh more specifically on the podcast we are talking about the 1970 film musical scrooge featuring one mr 
Albert Finney 12 years before playing Daddy Warbucks and Annie as the eponymous Scrooge. James, this was some kind of a movie. It was some kind of not so wonderful, John. I'm just going to not bury the lead here. Wow. This. Okay. That's not fair. There are, this movie is all over the place and we'll get into that, but wow. This was the post sixties hangover Scrooge movie that I never knew I needed, but boy, did I get this is all over the place. You want trying to be Oliver because that came out just two years beforehand. You've got that here. You want weird Italian horror movie settings. We've got that here too. You want the most miscast Bob Cratchit I have ever seen in the movie where they also cast the ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a, we're going to take a pause here and, uh, uh, we're going to cut to a segment I like to call Hot Takes with James. James, I feel like you have some hot takes for us. I can't. I, can't, I, I John, I, I don't know where to start because every... Okay. This movie has frustrated me so much so, all right? Because when I was a child, this was sitting on my grandfather's VHS collection, okay? 1992-93, I'm having my grandfather days with my papa. We're there. He'd be put on a VHS, usually Batman 89, Rebel Rebel. So I'm watching that with my grandfather, and I would always turn and look at the other VHS tapes he had. And one of them was this movie. And I must have watched it at least once. And I can remember my brother, I think, bringing it up once in a while. And even, we'll get to it, singing one of the songs in this movie. But it doesn't deserve to be a classic. It doesn't deserve to be remembered. It deserves to be analyzed. It deserves to be watched from afar at a safe distance. Because this thing needs to be committed. It's it's Looney Tunes. And I think I was too mean on our last Scrooge movie. This has been uh, Hot Takes with James. This has been Hot Takes with James. So um, we will discuss whether or not I liked this movie at the end. Oh, don't do not do that to me, John. Don't, you're leaving me out there to hang for this entire episode. And at the end of it, you're going to be like, I really liked it. I'm going to be like, I'm a jerk face. We're going to talk about that. So... <laughs> This movie did uh, receive nominations and some awards. It did receive Academy Awards for Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Best Original Score, and Best Song for Thank You Very Much in uh, okay, 1970. Okay, all, right, all, right, all right, pause, pause for a second. I will say that I was really offended by that nomination for Best Song until you said Thank You Very Much. And we'll get to Thank You Very Much later on. And that is the one that my brother, I think, hummed or re- referenced sometime in my life. That's probably that one, the only well-known song from this show. It's a good song. It's a good. Yeah, it's very good. It's catchy. It, it's fu- it's freaking hysterical when we get to it. Yeah. But it is. Um, it's it's really good, and I I'm okay with that getting the award. But the rest of that score, let's get into it, John. Let's let's yeah let's, yeah let's... we'll talk about it. I I should also mention that Albert Finney won a Golden Globe for Best Actor for this movie. Well, you know what, John? That's a award that he deserves because I forgot how time worked. And I was like, 
man, he's the same age here that he was in Aaron Brockovich. And I didn't know he was that old. I knew he was old. I knew he was old, but I was like, man, he looked the same way in 1970 that he did in 1999. Oh, and then when we get later on, I'm like, okay, never mind. So as as you, uh, James mentioned during his hot takes, this was uh, intended to be a follow-up to the massive hit success of Oliver. And I feel like you can definitely see a lot of, of sort of um, Oliver DNA in this. Definitely attempts to ape the style of the music. And obviously the setting is very Dickensian. Um, and what better place to start than at the beginning of this movie? If you're going to ape Oliver, you might as well start off with a bunch of obnoxiously Cockney orphans singing a Christmas carol. I mean, high key Cockney. These kids, holy cow, are they just the most annoying kids ever in a movie. They are annoying people so much that they pay them on Christmas Eve to get the hell away. What? (laughs) It's a weird, it's a weird choice. It's a weird choice to have the, so a Christmas carol traditionally has this sequence where a caroler sings outside of Scrooge's door and Scrooge scares him away. In this version, right, they start off with these kids who are obviously like, these are young street kids out to make a buck on Christmas Eve by singing carols. There's a guy who leans out his window and says, well, we're never going to have peace on earth with all that. But then he kind of smiles and tosses them a coin. So you get the impression that it's like, oh, it's all in good fun, right? And that brings us to the counting house of one, Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh boy. Yeah. And here comes Scrooge and he is having none of this tradition. Like the guy who gives the coins, like this is what you do. Annoying kids sing at your window, some Christmas songs. They suck so bad that you give them money to go away. And that's the season. And Scrooge who is counting some form of currency. They look like slugs to me, but Scrooge is just having none of it. And He's getting more annoyed. And our introduction to Scrooge, besides the illustrations at the beginning, is literally hunched over these stacks of coins and just like, nope, nope. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, he's sort of he's sort of stacking the coins up on a tray that he's going to put in his safe. So Albert Finney, star of stage and screen, plays Scrooge in this movie. And his take on Scrooge is very very different from Alistair Sims' take. He is stoop-shouldered. He has almost like a crooked face. He's definitely taken to heart, I think, a lot of the descriptions that we have of Scrooge from the text of him being this almost monstrous figure. I almost wondered if he was playing the idea that Scrooge has had a stroke at some point because he's so hunched over and decrepit and his hands are so strangely claw-like it could also be though that i mean he's like what in his early 30s when he's making this movie so he's trying to kind of hide the fact that he's so young yeah at this point i don't put one and two together that finney is not that old i just see him as the actor like i said from his later works i'm like man he's always been that old so credit to him for making himself look old but he really leans into it like he is old and he is Looks like he's going to fall apart at any moment. And which is, I think it's an interesting choice that he plays up to it, but he almost makes him non-human. He makes him like this golem like creature with my precious. And the money is very much the one ring 
to this Scrooge. Like we've seen a couple of, and you know what you see in your everyday life, that money plays a significant thing to Scrooge, but here it's like, he's got to have him near him. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Like he's got to have that money not too far away. And he leans into the old man aspect of Scrooge so much. So that I don't buy it. Like, I mean, I guess I bought it in the sense that he looked old, but like, I thought he was just drunk the whole time. Like, I just... I, I think there are moments where it plays really well, and I think there are moments where it's definitely distracting. And yeah. we'll talk about some of those as we move through. So, at this moment in the movie, um, after we he tells the kids to get the hell away from uh, his place and yells at them, humbug, we get introduced back-to-back Bob Cratchit and his nephew, okay? Never have I seen two characters miscast more than Bob Cratchit and Scrooge's nephew. Swap them. Swap them right now. Because That's a really interesting call. Yeah. Be- because Bob Cratchit is played by a movie star. He is a model. This guy is... is he, for a Bob Cratchit, he's like Hollywood Bob Cratchit. Cut chin looks beautiful he's a great bob cratchit and then in comes scrooge's nephew who looks like what bob cratchit's supposed to look like what the hell swap them swap them now mid-scene i don't care do it because this it throws off all the dynamics i get they're playing scrooge old and maybe then his nephew should be older i get it but not if you're going to have that young of a Bob Cratchit right there. Bob needs to be as old as the nephew. There need there could be a little bit of an age gap there, but he has to be a father. This kid just went through puberty, so he's not my Bob Cratchit. <laughs> Hashtag not my Bob Cratchit. Not my yeah, Bob Cratchit. So Bob Cratchit, the the actor playing Bob Cratchit in in this particular version is he's kind of like tall, slender. He's got a head full of gorgeous hair. Um, He's definitely got, I feel like, the kind of slightly foppish energy that I expect to see from Fred, that you expect to see from Scrooge's nephew. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Scrooge's nephew comes in, and my immediate impression was he had the kind of energy of a guy who's visiting, like, an elderly relative in a home who, who watches a lot of, like, conservative news, like... Like if you had like a great grandpa who watches a lot of Alex Jones and you go to visit him and he's like talking about how chemtrails are going to, you know, poison the water supply. And you kind of have to just be like, oh, yeah, okay, grandpa, like whatever you say. I feel like that's Fred's approach here, right? He he's definitely just sort of tolerating Scrooge being aggressively crotchety and mean to him as he invites him to Christmas dinner. Yeah, he Fred is making all the right choices here. He is, by the way, like how I forgot the name Fred, so I just said nephew the entire time up to that point. Booyah. Anyway, Fred is, the actor playing Fred is making all the right choices for Fred's character. He's just, he's just, he's, he's miscast, but I'll get off of that. But he plays it correctly. I get the same vibes you're going with here, John. But it's over very quickly and that's a that's another thing of this movie it goes extremely fast and then slows down and i think we know why and we'll see that in a second but like that's a very rushed version of the fred nephew scene and now we're going to get even a faster version of the can i take off for christmas scene with scrooge 
So it's, yeah, it's certainly not as fast as the, the Alistair Sim version where he was kind of like, he didn't even stop walking. He just kind of walked in. Hey, come to Christmas. Nope. Okay. Bye. Um, but there I would say it'll allow it, the pacing was consistent with that movie right like that movie kept that same pace even when the christmas pass was so long we had to make that last episode a two-parter god help us i think this might be a three-parter because i got a lot to say about this movie all right but you have like i don't know just it's (sighs) moving along um fred leaves and the the clock chimes for the end of the business day and bob has to ask scrooge for his paycheck, which I thought was a, I, I kind of liked this scene. Like Bob has to go to him and say like, Hey Scrooge, it's seven o'clock. Can I, can I have my paycheck please? And Scrooge's response to him, which I think sets up what the moral core of this movie is going to be is that he likes pleasure too much. He's too mm. concerned with enjoying himself and not concerned enough with making money and doing his job. And that's going to become the core of what, this particular iteration of Scrooge is about this Scrooge is about denying himself the pleasure of life and has thus become a miserable person. I mean, that's true of a lot of Scrooges, but he is ugly in this one in soul and in appearance, but is seems almost to be ignorant of that fact. Like he doesn't quite get how, you know, disgusting he is like, or may, at least the way I got it was like he was shocked that he would appear as a monster to other people, as we'll get into later. Like, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong at all. Correct. Correct. Well, yeah, and I, that is common to Scrooge. What I, what, I, what I mean when I say it's his moral core is for some versions of Scrooge, the moral journey is learning to love and care for his fellow man. This Scrooge is, is about learning to not hate life which we will see with like the ghost of Christmas present. I think that becomes a very big theme with that character. Oh. Definitely the ending of this movie. So we're going to talk about that. Now, Bob leaves uh, the counting house and goes to meet Tim and also random extra character, daughter, Kathy, who is here. I, I feel like if this movie came out after Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, this is it's the kids from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's right. basically what's happening here. It's almost exactly the same dynamics with with Bob and these two kids. And they are outside that same toy shop that we saw in the Alistair Sim version, which I think is a really interesting callback. I'm I'm wondering if because of how popular the Alistair Sim was, it had an influence on this choice. See, this is what I think starts to happen with a lot of these movies, a lot of these adaptations of Christmas Carol. They cherry pick moments, not from the novella, but they pick them from the most popular versions. This that screams this. The scene is not in the book at all. So it has to come from there or it's an original invention. But I don't think that with the with the money that was put into this movie, they must have seen the Allison Sim version and felt like we need to have this. And, you know, what we also need to have John. We need to have a song. We need to have a lot of songs. And we're going to start right here after the toy shop scene with what is the name of this song, John? <laughs> I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I don't have that in my notes because it was such a forgettable song. It was something about the magic of Christmas. It, they, they bring it back around at the end and we'll get to it there. But it's just like generic doll buying Christmas song. And like, it's all about like, I've got all this money, says Bob Cratchit. Let's go spend it. And it's like, I, I hear you, Bob. I hear yeah. you. So this song, um, this song is interesting because we have 
we get like a kind of a picture of the community that mm. the Cratchits live in, but also a picture of the the sociological divide, I think, because you have a scene where it kind of contrasts Bob on the street getting like a can of street gin to make punch, which is the sketchiest thing I've ever seen. Compared to this, to like, kids. wealthy guy. He's giving that to his kids, okay? Not my Bob Cratchit. Well, Bob... They all drink They all drink gin. Hang on. Hang on a no, second. No, 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 <laughs> we no, talked no, about no. this in the last one, too. No, 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 no. Bob will get the good stuff. Well, at least the okay stuff. This, this Bob Cratchit buying street gin? Come on, Bob. So, like I was saying, there's, there's a nice... We get a sense of, like, community, so you have this... Uh, kind of street Santa Claus that that Bob buys a couple of parcels from. The guy throws in an extra one for free because he knows Bob has like five kids, not four. Um, I liked that. I liked the sense of community that that we get from seeing those interactions. We also see this like wealthy guy complaining about like the price of a bottle of wine in the shop while Bob is getting like the street gin, and they're all like, "Yeah, this is going to be the good stuff." It's good world building. Uh, on the two street sets that they have to use. So like they are establishing the world that they live in. It's not bigger than these streets. Scrooge is a moneylender to this local part of the community. It's not everybody in London is working with Scrooge, which is probably in scale with what Scrooge does uh, when you break it down. Probably just a right. few blocks that he is the moneylender to. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the second of the three songs that compromise this, like two pages oh, of the novella. God, so, meanwhile, <laughs> there is a charity worker ambush. So Scrooge leaves the counting house, and as he's locking up the shop, the camera pulls back slightly, and the charity workers are just kind of standing there, like they were waiting for him to come out. Well, um, John, they had to be there because Ruka Salt wants money for the charity and she told them to go out there and get it because that's R- Ruka Salt's dad right there. I have that in my I have that in my notes. I was going to ask if you noticed that, if you knew who that was. So one of these two charity worker guys is of course uh Roy Kinnear who plays Veruka Salt's father on the original uh Willy Wonka in the no, Chocolate no, st- Factory. St- stop it there, John. Stop it. The version of Willy the Wonka only. and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. The only one. The older I get, the more stubborn I get on that point. Uh, there's a really funny bit with these guys where as they're following Scrooge down the street and kind of he's like walking up, up kind of like a little raised walkway and then down the stairs and one of the guys runs around to try to like cut him off one of their boxes has a sign on it that says widows and orphans which i thought i don't don't know why i thought that was funny that they had to label it like specifically if they need like this little widows and orphans box well they 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 do a i mean there's lots of little things here and things that i don't even think i pick up on but like the camera work here isn't bad like there is a lot of interesting shots and stuff like that and right now like there's the scene when they're asking for the money and they get to if they're gonna die they better go ahead and do it which is right near the river and which i like that setting his lowest point and just i don't know the water it 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 invokes some sort of like this is his depths you know like he like this is as low as he can go in the in this moment and yet 
he goes even lower. Yeah, it's true. So I think there's something interesting about the way that they are following him down the street and he's trying to escape from them. I get the impression that this Scrooge is a little bit on the agoraphobic side. Like, he definitely seems deeply uncomfortable around people in a way that not even Alistair Sim, who we talked about how he seemed to have like a, a disconnect with the rest of humanity. Obviously, that's a feature of Scrooge as a character, but I feel like Albert Finney really plays it as someone who is almost afraid of or or completely incapable of connecting with other human beings. And I think it's really interesting that not only like he goes a step beyond when he's talking about the poor house and um, the prisons by talking about how like I'm paying enough for these through my taxes and that's robbery. Like he even kind of looks down on that. Well, when Sims talks about these are the institutions I've supported and stuff like that, it's just like an aside. Like, I pay my taxes like everybody. That's it. Finney is pissed that he's got to pay taxes. And he is having none of it here. And is like, look, you're asking for more? I don't even like giving you what I give you. And further down, further down, this Scrooge is... It's funny. I don't know if they were going for this, but at the moment when Scrooge does ask, like, say the line, if they're going to die, they better go do it. They're at the river. Like I said, it reminds me of Bill Sykes death or like, and like, and there's the rope that's kind of hanging there. I don't think that's what they were intending, but he is a straight up villain at that moment. And they're like, this is the fate. You're, you know, like, this is what you deal with. You deal with murky waters and you and uh, you might end up like old Bill Sykes. So watch out. Don't be like Scrooge here. I don't think that's what they were trying to say, but I said it with my brain. <laughs> Jimmy made the connection. So this Scrooge is is a moral paradox of sorts because he he definitely loathes humanity for its dishonesty and avarice. So he after the the. Uh, charity collectors leave he launches into a song called i hate people which is a little bit on the nose masterful lyrics right here the first right out the gate we're going off with like nailed it like i am not gonna look up who wrote the songs for this movie because i don't want to make fun of them for their horrible lyrics the music is okay but the lyrics as a rule for this movie hot garbage yeah it's it's a lot of very very forgettable music with like one or two okay pretty okay songs if you had better lyrics to go along with the music the songs would be okay and there are moments when they get close and like we said uh thank you very much is the high watermark of this yeah. everything else is just trying either too hard or not hard enough and it's just bleh. so scrooge is singing this song i hate people and he's sort of outlining how he views humanity in general as a a mass of greedy takers who are trying to corrupt the morals of like simple businessmen like himself. And meanwhile, we see that he basically is owed money by most of the businesses on this particular part of town. And he's walking around. He's got this little book. He's jotting down sort of notes. It's basically Chekhov's debt ledger, which we're going to see come back a couple of times where he's filling out, you know, collecting what people owe him. Um, he encounters several people in the sequence. So there, there are the women who are selling socks and he gives them basically like a couple weeks of extension, but he's also going to charge them a higher level of interest. And then he does the same thing to the guy who's running the Punch and Judy show. And at last, he does the same thing to this broth salesman, this guy who's selling like basically soup 
on the street. And that guy is going to become very important later on in the movie. Mm -hmm. But his business seems to be get people in debt to him, get them in a desperate situation and then gouge them for interest when they're not able to pay on time. That um, which I guess is if you're a moneylender in general, that's your business. But Scrooge definitely makes an art of it. And then he's also getting free stuff. Like he takes broth from the guy. He takes socks from the women. And the music, I will give the music credit for it. I I think the music does a good thing here of building up the descent of his hatred and spitefulness. I think what it, the lyrics don't do. I mean, the lyrics are just kind of repeating the same theme over and over again. But the music is just doubling down on how Scrooge feels over and over again. By the time he gets to the end of the song, Okay, we get it. He hates people, but you hear the hatred in his heart, but also the suffering in him. Like it's that is accomplished pretty well because what he's look, we can make fun of the lyric, but what he's talking about is he hates life, which is the other thing getting onto the movie is he hates life because people are life and he hates his own life because what he has made for himself. So in that respect, it's a it's a good beat there. It's just not executed perfectly and the little mistakes as we've talked about bring the whole thing down but what isn't a mistakes is the puppet man i'm sorry john did you mention this already because i'm moving so I, me- I mentioned that there's a guy doing like a punch and judy show but do you want to describe how this scene plays out because it's pretty it's pretty funny okay so there's a puppeteer doing a as john said a punch and judy show is what the term is called yeah so he's <laughs> there he's got like a like a box, you know, a little bit smaller than the TARDIS uh, and not bigger on the inside. And the puppeteers in there doing the puppet show. You've seen how shows go. And Scrooge, there's a crowd there watching the show, paying them no mind, just gets down on his hands and knees and and crawls into the puppet box and is haggling with the guy, demanding he pay what he's uh, what he's owed during the middle of a freaking puppet show. This guy has no tack, none whatsoever. He doesn't understand people. He really doesn't get the world around him. Or he has suffered so much that he has made this reality acceptable, even though he hates it, you know? Yeah, I don't it's know. a really I... good illustration. And then, okay, so I, I have a question for you, Jim. It has me. Because there's another song coming up immediately, like right on the coattails of I Hate People comes the first rendition of Father Christmas, which is all of these Cockney youths that were singing the Christmas carols outside of his door now following Scrooge through the street as he continues to go into businesses and gouge people for money, singing the song about like what a miser he is and what a villain. And they're they're like stealing his hat and taunting him and annoying him. So here's my question for you. Do you cut that song, which doesn't need to exist after I Hate People, or do you cut I Hate People and not give that much insight into Scrooge's personality right away? And I've gone back and forth on this. You do not need both of these songs. And I remember getting halfway through the Father Christmas one and being like, okay, looking at my watch, like, we get it. Scrooge collects money from people and no one in the town likes him and he's kind of a miserable person one illustrates it in a really direct way by just having scrooge say like i hate people and here's all the reasons why and the other one is giving you like oh the people in the town really don't like scrooge and he seems like a bad person but we don't know why i think the problem with cutting either one of these here and this is the thing about the movie it's actually a well-balanced 
well, to a point. Um, like the songs play off of each other at the ending of the movie too. So Father Christmas plays off of it later on. So you need the Father Christmas thing. And I love life or whatever the ending version of this spoilers that is also like called back to. So you can't really cut either one of these. What should happen is somebody should take the concept of these songs, cut both of them and rework a song that does both things at once. There are versions of this. There are musicals out there of a Christmas Carol that do that very successfully. And then there is 1970s Scrooge. And that is yeah. what we have here. Now, this is one of the earliest musical renditions of this. So I guess in a lot of ways, we could look at it as experimental. It's very beloved by people, but we'll talk about that when we get to the end. I so, had fear. Get, I'll, I'll say that for the end, but I had fear reviewing this because like, this is not going to age. I had a feeling this had not aged well and not in any cancel culture way. It's just, we make better movies now. Yeah. Moving along. Yeah. So uh, we get to the knocker scene and I do think that there is a better buildup. It may just be the fact that there's a whole song to get us to this point. Um, it's a, it felt a little bit less rushed to me than the Alistair Sim version. And I like the way that this is comped. I feel like for a movie, especially from 1970, they do a really good comp of the face of Marley onto this knocker. It very slowly fades in. You get that eerie Scrooge. He looks down at it. It fades out slowly. I feel like it's paced really nicely. Um, this whole sequence in general coming up, I think, does a pretty decent job. Is this the scene where uh, Scrooge learns he has to go to Dagobah? Because, <laughs> because you know, he's just he's, he's cold. He's walking by himself. You know, he's not he's in a lot of pain, clearly. And then this force ghost just shows up in front of him. This is when he's got to go to Dagobah and become a Jedi, because I think you're burying the lead here, John. Who's about to show up? But Mr. Sir Alan Guinness. Yes, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness uh, plays. um Jacob Marley in this. And I, I have a few more notes about him when we get to his like real grand entrance, but we've seen his face so far. So Scrooge goes into his house. We do get the scene of the hearse, which I think if you're going to do it, you got to have a slightly stronger reaction to it than what we got with this Scrooge. When the hearse kind of floats through the air and the guy driving the hearse talks to him and he sort of just watches it go by. Not a very strong reaction. I thought I, None of the supernatural stuff really lands with Scrooge in this movie. None of it really gives him the fear of God or just the bewilderment that I think it, he has moments of it, but it's not like a constant build, which I like to see with my Scrooges. I'm not seeing it here with Finney. I'm seeing extremes. I'm seeing tens and I'm seeing ones in belief of this whole thing happening. And on one hand, I like it. And I like some of the things they do with like questioning what's really happening. But I'm looking at this hearse here and I like the Haunted Mansion as much as anybody. But that's a theme park ride, not a big budget movie. And it's very Haunted Mansion. I mean, literally his house looks like the Haunted Mansion a lot of it, which is fine again. But if you're going to do these types of special effects and they don't look great because they're not cheap, but just 1970. I said it before with Doctor Who, I'll say it again. Put it in black and white. Black and white would cover up a lot of these mistakes and they don't do it. You do that hearse scene again in a black and white filter, 
I think it would land 10 times better. Probably. Probably. I think we're going to find that uh, with a lot of the spirits, uh, a lot of things that normally are played fairly seriously in the novella are played for comedy. This is a lighter... In many respects, this is a lighter take. In many respects, it's not a lighter take. We'll talk about that as well. Ah. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Scrooge goes in and and he's heating up this broth that he got from the broth vendor, basically in exchange for like a two week extension. And we get the ringing of the bells and we hear, you know, the, the Jacob Marley voice and all of this is fairly conventional. And then the door opens and in walk slash floats Sir Alec Guinness about 10 years before he will don a Jedi robe as our jacob marley um you know i asked myself how guinness went from you know bridge on the river Kwai to star wars i think i got my answer i think i got my answer so from what i understand alec guinness did not have a very good time making this movie and i i believe that is because <laughs> no kidding <laughs> <laughs> He didn't have a good time making Star Wars. That was a great movie. This, of course, he was the moving on. Now, now he's he, that being said, right? Alec Guinness is a consummate professional. He is he is chewing a lot of scenery in this movie. His performance as Marley has a lot of really fun features to it. He is definitely on a wire system of some kind. So my impression is that he's he's wired up and they're basically floating him around the set. And from what I understand, he either like sprained or broke a rib because of the harness that was used to float him around in this scene. Um, so he comes in Pepper through the door. He's doing kind of a um, creepy, like crypt keeper sort of voice. There's a really uh, fun piece of, of um, kind of special effects work here where Scrooge asks him to sit down and he uses the force to pull over the chair and then sits in the air beside the chair, um, which I thought was pretty funny. I had using the force here as well. I was like, he's just straight up using the force Listen, in this movie. He reaches out his hand and the chair moves and the joke is right there. It's yeah, begging. It's, it's, it's begging to be used. Yeah. So uh, we also get like, I, I feel like this. there's this moment where Scrooge is kind of going on and on about how um, he's got this stomach issue. And because of that stomach issue, this is obviously something fake. And you're just an old potato. And they float Alec Guinness up in the air and all the chains. And he kind of howls. And it's very eerie. I, I feel like it's it's a, it's a moment that sets this apart from other versions of this where we don't get as much like ghostliness with Marley aside from him just being see-through. Evidently, you don't call Jacob Marley a potato. Because if you call him a potato, he will scare the ever-loving crap out of you. And yeah. look, I don't like a lot of the choices made here in this Marley performance, but I like that one. I like that he yeah. went big as all hell. Like, okay, we're we're going there. <laughs> yeah. So I I also in my research understand that there is a there's a musical number here that was cut. And I think that musical number being cut may be part of the reason why this whole sequence feels like it was cut apart and then pasted back together in a weird order because what happens is rather than the usual scene where Marley sits down and basically lays the whole thing out to Scrooge and then leaves him on that note of showing him all of the spirits that are also in this sorry state, Marley wraps the chain around Scrooge's wrist, carries him out the window halfway through the scene, and there's sort of a 
spoken slash sung song where they're floating through the air and there are all these kind of like bad paper mache ghost puppets that are floating through the air looking creepy. What we do not get is the impression that any of these spirits are like unhappy that they can't do anything in the world. Lip service is paid to that. Marley mentions that like he can't do the things that that mankind is supposed to be his business and that he should be tending to his business, but he can't. But we don't get that hammered home, especially not in the way we saw it in the novella, not the way we saw it in the Alistair Sim version where there's that woman and all the people are trying to give her money and help and they can't. We just get the impression that these ghosts are vaguely unhappy because they're chained up and floating through the world. And then one of these ghosts flies right into Scrooge's face and he closes his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he's back in his room. And we're like, okay, that's like a quick version of the Marley scene, but I guess it's over. And then there's like a one of those things where the camera pans over to look at something and then pans back and Marley has appeared and the scene continues. And it's a really weird, disjointed version of this scene for me. I had written here too short to matter. Like this was just too short of a version of the scene to matter. And yet I love the joke. Marley pulls on Scrooge right there at the end. It reminded me of space balls when uh, he went fooled you, you know, like that little moment right there. <laughs> like, I feel like I think it had to have been something in editing. The, the lighting and set work here is very good. It reminds me of the 1977 Italian supernatural horror film superior. If I'm pronouncing that right, um, it got remade recently. The remake is actually amazing. I haven't seen the original, but it's um, I've seen a few uh, examples of their lighting there. And it's very in keeping with a lot of 1970s uh, atmospheric horror, like just setting a yeah. weird vibe. And they I am not feeling good about things when I'm watching the Marley scenes because I'm not supposed to because it's at the afterlife. So job well done. Um. So uh, from this point, we're going to move forward to talk about uh, Scrooge's experience with the Ghost of Christmas Past. However, before we do that, we have to pay our clerk. So everybody stick around for a quick ad break and we will be right back. If I stopped your half a crown for it, you'd think yourself who you was, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me or you if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Cheers hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast, and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. 
If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So, uh, Scrooge prepares for bed and he puts on the usual, you know, nightcap and nightgown and, and blanket and very decrepit. He hides his 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 keys and pocket watch under his chamber pot, which I mean, I guess that's an OK place if you're going to hide it somewhere. All right. So, yeah, he's putting money in the chamber pot and. Look, under, like, so uh, so for the sake of our, our our listeners who aren't watching, he does not put it in his chamber pot. He his chamber pot is on like a wooden setup with like a little hole underneath. So he's hiding it beneath the chamber pot, presumably so that nobody will look. And then he climbs into bed um, and and his his sleep is interrupted by the ant from every Victorian novel about a teenage girl trying to find her way in the world. It's okay. a very so this is the ghost of Christmas past. Jimmy, go ahead. Because I can see on my screen that you have something you want to say about this. One frame of this character, and I was like, done. This is where I stopped for a whole session. This is when I paused the movie and went away for three days and was like, nope, out, couldn't do it. This is look, it's a very nice costume. If you were playing any other Victorian era character like John said. But if you're playing the ghost of Christmas past, I'm going to need a little bit more effort than just a dress. You need some lighting effects. You need some sort of weird, you need to make choices. This is, this is what, why is Mrs. Claus the ghost of Christmas past? This is, I, I'm so so I am at loss for words for how bad of a choice this is. Because I am I need to create new words to describe how much I hate this choice because it has not it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything except for save the budget. That's it. It's very strange. So in this version, the ghost of Christmas past appears as basically a, an elderly woman. She looks to be in her like 70s maybe. Um, in in kind of a red, very red Victorian dress. She's got a big black hat and like one of those those fur things that you like wrap around your hands to keep your hands warm. I I'm not sure why. I, I don't know why this choice is made because they really don't go off brand at all with either of the other ghosts. Everything else in this movie is played pretty much the way you would expect to see it. It's very traditional in its portrayal, except for this one part. So I don't know if it was just that because because they play a lot of what happens with this ghost and the ghost of Christmas present as a joke, like there's a lot of bits with both of these characters. I'm wondering if they just couldn't figure out a way to make that work with the ghost of Christmas past the way it's portrayed. Like you're 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 trying to keep things a little bit on the light side until we get to the end. And this ghost kind of chides Scrooge. She's like a little bit of like a school marm. Don't you I get that that kind of energy where she's like scolding him a little bit at different points. 
They um, all do. They all do. They, they all yeah. three ghosts. And it's harder for ghosts of future to do this, but clearly he does. They all just browbeat Scrooge. And of all the Scrooges of all the Christmas Carol versions, we're going to see this one, I think is the most a dream because I finally figured out why this choice was made for this ghost while sitting here. It's bell. Oh, interesting. Because Belle does not come back. So as we go through the past here, I'm always worried about what they do with Belle. I'm always worried if they bring Belle back for the third act and have Belle get back with Scrooge. That doesn't happen here, but they definitely play up Belle a little bit more. I, I think you might be right. I think it might be that this is supposed to be like an older version of Belle. And that plays out because we're going to get a lot of Belle in a second. So we, we actually um, get the right amount of Belle here. And I'm. it was so the right amount, I was worried they were going to go the wrong way with it, which is why I bring it up, because you can make that wrong choice with everything this movie does, but it doesn't do it, and I applaud them for that. I, I applaud yeah. them for that. And if this is the idea here, that this ghost of Christmas past is essentially who Belle could have been at this point in Scrooge's life, like an older woman, you know, that could have easily been Belle in senior citizen years with Scrooge. God dang! Maybe this movie isn't as bad as I thought. No, it is. It is. It is. It is. That's an interesting. That is an interesting choice. So, um, yeah, we get kind of the all these kids when they so they go to the past and we get sort of this scene of all these kids in like costumes for some reason going through the snow singing a song. Um, so we go to the school. Um, see Scrooge as a young boy. What I think is interesting here is so we talked when we when we watched the Alistair Sim version, we talked about how the actor that was playing young Scrooge tried to play like young Ebenezer Scrooge and it really didn't work like little boy Ebenezer Scrooge. So in this version, they have a younger boy who's playing him. And then we see him as like like a an older teen, I guess, played by Albert Finney. And I think one of the strengths that this movie has is that Albert Finney, at the time he's making this movie, is young enough that all of the scenes where he is playing his young self, because Albert Finney plays both young and old Scrooge, work really well because you get to see this guy go from being young and and hopeful to this old miser and this gradual decline and also see like the old version of him right next to him. A lot of these scenes. Um, I really enjoy his performance as young Scrooge in this. Yeah, I do as well. But one quick shout out to the actor who plays Scrooge just for those 30 seconds there. You, you really do start to cheer and root for that kid in that one blip of a moment, but he's pulling his own there and it does lean to when Finney takes the role over for the rest of the film, which is yeah. the most Scrooge. I think besides um, the Sims version, which, you know, he comes into the past and is there pretty much throughout after a certain point, we get a lot of Finney as Scrooge here. And I like the choices he makes as young Scrooge. I think his young Scrooge performance is his, I don't know if it's his best performance, but it's definitely the most believable. If that makes sense. Like this is a real person. Not a crazy old man saying I hate people like this guy is believable. And I, I, I dig the betrayal of Scrooge as a as a kid. But if you notice in the shot in the school, it's mostly from the back of his head. They don't spend that much time on his face because they know that if we let that linger there too much before we get to Fezziwigs, 
it's not going to be believable for anybody. He's going to look like Joe Pesci playing a 20 year old in Goodfellas. <laughs> so, side note um, Joe Pesci is supposed to be a 20 year old in Goodfellas. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> um, so, we do move on to Fezziwig, and I think this is one of the moments where the choice to make this a musical really works because I think December the 25th is one of the the high points of this movie for me. I think the choreography is really fun. This Fezziwig, if he, if this actor who plays Fezziwig never played Teddy Roosevelt, that's a crime against humanity. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's like a dead ringer. Um, and he's got like a really, really fun energy. What we see, however, uh, in this scene is that Scrooge is kind of a wallflower, right? Even as a young man at Fezziwigs, where there's all this like fun and dance going on, Scrooge is lingering off to the side. He looks a little bit uncomfortable. He looks like he had a hard time. And when the spirit asks him, why didn't you join in on this dance? He's like, well, well, I didn't know how. So we're getting, I think, a really nice moment of it's not explicit, but we get the impression that his time away at the orphanage really kind of or not at the orphanage, but like his time kind of locked up in the school really impacted his social skills. Like he's not good at connecting with people. He never got invited to play. He never learned how to invite himself to play or to work away into a situation so that he could make friends. He's on the outside looking in on this whole thing. Unfortunately, after a couple scenes from now, what he's looking at is life. He doesn't have a life. He has work. And he has work and that's yeah. it. And right now, as somebody's going from work to home, work to home as all I do right now during the middle of this pandemic, I'm feeling a real connection with Scrooge. And that's not a good thing, folks. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think this is a real credit to Albert Finney's performance in this because oh. he really sells that. Like he really sells the the loneliness of young Scrooge in these scenes and and not the same way as he sells the loneliness of old Scrooge in some scenes that we're going to see coming up. No, there's so a then... shot. There's this shot here at Fezziwig's party where the dancing is going around and he just gives this clap, this like half hearted clap. And he has this little he's happy, but he knows he doesn't know how to be happy. And that that is put off putting to people. Meanwhile, old Scrooge is kind of enjoying it. Like old Scrooge is really excited to see Fezziwigs and all the people like he's sort of living it up while his young self is is like a little bit kind of stuck. And then we get suddenly all the sound cuts out and there's this like kind of sad musical theme and in comes Belle. Mm. Right. Isabel, not Alice in this version. Not she, the producer's daughter. Yeah, no. But she but she is somebody's daughter in this version. She's Fezziwig's daughter, which I thought was an interesting choice. It, Not a bad choice. It's an interesting choice. I don't think it needs to be that. If you were going to do that, there was more meat on the bone there to do stuff with. Was he was he was he dating her just to get closer with Fezziwig's for profit? Like, was he, was that part of the thing? The only thing we get to, and we'll get to in a second, is that Fezziwigs likes to chaperone his daughter when she's courting. Right. So, so there's, there's this song, um, Happiness, that, that Belle sings. And this song is a montage of, basically, it looks like this summer, a year spent with Scrooge. And he seems genuinely happy to be with her. But it definitely seems one of those things where she's pulling him out of his shell, like... Mm. 
they're rowing he's rowing her in a boat and she's singing about how she's like happy to be with him and, and they're at like an archery match and they're shooting bows with all these like fancy people and and he like misses a shot and he's like frustrated but she kind of like soothes his frustrations and they're riding in a cart and literally at every one of these activities the fezzy wigs are like about like two yards away just sort of like happily watching which is pretty funny and 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 Isabel here is really good. She gets like the bullseye, right? Like she gets the bullseye and she's enjoying she's happy, like tr- truly happy throughout this entire thing. In this, by the way, a flash forward from our flash back. Like that's I think yeah, like, yeah. let's like I I think we're supposed to uh infer from this scene that this is the first time Scrooge and Isabel like dance and maybe the relationship starts here. So it's like, it's weird that they don't, but they don't break the rules. They don't break the rules of a Christmas Carol, which is this is Scrooge's own memory doing this. This is not the ghosts. This is Scrooge and that's okay. But it's, I don't, I wonder if we'll see more of that as we go through these movies, if we'll see more flash forwards from Scrooge's POV, I'm not sure, but I can tell you what I am sure of. Fezziwig ain't letting Isabel out of his sight, like, at all. And Scrooge knows it. Which I think leads to him, while they're on this cart ride, handing her a ring at the end of this song, right? Mm. And we definitely get the impression, so I feel like we we literally just talked about the Alistair Sim version, so we're going to be making a lot of comparisons to the Alistair Sim version, but I think in this particular moment, it's really worth making the comparison because... Alistair Sims' trauma is the death of his sister. Albert Finney's trauma is losing Belle. I don't think that there's any two ways about it, right? Alistair Sim lost his sister, right, in his portrayal as Scrooge, and it turned him into a cold and calculating person who only cared about getting ahead and making money and not giving a crap about other people or taking care of other people. And that was his Scrooge's thing to deal with. Albert Finney's thing to deal with is Bell pulled him out of his shell enough to care about something, but because he fell back into that cycle of like, well, I need to make money so I can take care of her, and it became, I need to make money, and then she dumped him because all he cared about at that point was making money. Well, I mean, you got the father who owns the business he works for, so like there's pressure there. They also mentioned that um, Scrooge's... uh, sister has died i don't remember exactly if it happens before the breakup scene or after her death i don't think is given an exact time or moment but like she dies and well it's mentioned it's very similar to the book where it's mentioned when she comes to pick him up from the school but it's a moment that's there and then gone it's fleeting it's 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 not nearly given as much weight but she is gone and isabel has taken the role of his sister And is the only thing that he can connect with. And what's interesting about her way she deals with him is she's laughing at him and not in a bad way. Like, it's like a little like, oh, you stop taking yourself so serious. Exactly. Like you're there's a nice guy in there and she tries. She you get that weight from this performance. Like she really did try with Scrooge, but she can see maybe in herself the route she's going to go down. She's going to become, she'll probably start to hate herself. She'll resent Scrooge for what she's becoming. So to save herself, she has to leave. And she wants Scrooge. She doesn't want Scrooge to be 
And she think I think she actually thinks Scrooge will be happy when she leaves. You know, like she she because if she thought Scrooge was redeemable and was sa- could be saved, I don't think she would have left. So let's talk about we're talking about the breakup scene. So yeah. she's in his office. She comes to him in his office and she basically is like and he's hunched over. He's starting to get like stoop shouldered. We see Albert Finney as young Scrooge putting on a little bit of the physicality that he uses for old Scrooge, which I think is a dynamite choice. This is a really strong acting choice. And in the corner of the scene on the coat rack is the hat and the coat. And you can see like just waiting in the wings, fully formed Scrooge is just there ready to go. And this is the scene where he starts really becoming that. So he's got just all these books and stuff on his desk and he's, he's writing in his, once again, we see that little debt ledger there and this breakup, she's definitely sad to be breaking up with him, but she does not seem sorrowful about it. She seems more like resolute and just like, no, this is it. This is the end. And he's like surprised by it. She's like, I'm leaving. You're not going to see me again. His response to her is like, you're going to marry me. He's totally, totally blindsided by it. And she has this great bit where she throws her ring onto a scale and then throws a couple of coins and the coins weigh more. It's a really good, like visual motif. Show don't tell show don't tell. And that is a perfect example. And old Scrooge does a thing, which I really love when old Scrooges do this, where he tries so hard to intercede in this moment. Right. And we really see that Scrooge knows this is a moment where things fell apart for him and he's going to bell and he's saying, don't go. It's a mistake. He's going to his young self and he's saying, say something. Why aren't you saying something? Do something. And ultimately, Bell leaves and the loathing with which old Scrooge turns on young Scrooge and calls him a fool in this moment is really strong. Like this is where Albert Finney gets a Golden Globe is in scenes like this, because He turns on his young self and he says, you fool with this like really like anger. And then he says, you fool again and clearly is directing it at himself. You fool. You fool. Oh, he he is indicting himself there that moment completely. And it's he's playing the scene against some actor dressed up to be him. But his young Scrooge. I don't want to undersell that. His young Scrooge is great here. Like he is, he's sitting in that chair and just, he he's working it out and he makes the choice to not let not bother him by diving yeah. deeper into work and yeah. letting her go. You could still tell the younger Scrooge is like, it's hurting him. But old Scrooge, there's this great shot where they're both looking at Isabel through the window. And it's it's two things. It's a great way of getting around needing to have a split screen there. So window frame. Great. But in that moment, when he's looking at her go down the street, it is the last time he'll see her. And he knows it's the last time that. And it's a great little pull at the heartstrings moment where you're like, it's very hard for us to have sympathy for this Scrooge, I feel like, because he is so extreme in the performance. And I don't think it has the natural build of an arc for Scrooge that we normally get. But it's moments like that that are so in the marrow of this story that that regardless of anything else you do, if you do so, if you do that moment right, we will feel for Scrooge. Yeah. 
This Scrooge is pretty despicable at the beginning, but he has moments from this scene and moving forward that I think really turn it around where we really understand like the the level of pain that he is in 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 a different way from the way Alistair Sim plays it. And I think it's really interesting to compare the two. Just to finish up on that, when we cut away from the room that the breakup happens in back to Scrooge's house, he asks the ghost, show me no more. And he's there in his bed, sitting upright, squeezing his pillow. That's you. You are right, John. That is where he gets the Golden Globe in that moment right there. That is such pain, such yeah. longing and such regret. Golden Globe earned. Well done. And that brings us to the end of the Ghost of Christmas Past. And as we have been doing, this is where we're going to cut our first part of the discussion of this movie now james because we uh we're kind of stopping in the middle and we don't have our normal wrap-up i've thought of a new segment for us and i thought i would share it with you bring it with me john and i think this is going to be especially appropriate given your strong feelings about this particular movie Mm. this is a segment that we are calling casting carols Welcome to Casting Carols, where James and I, over the course of doing this podcast, are going to cast, dare I say it, the perfect version of A Christmas Carol. I have in front of me a random number generator, and I have a list of the major characters of this story. And I'm going to roll the random number generator, and whatever number comes up, James and I are going to each choose an actor that we think should play that role in our version of A Christmas Carol. Now, we can choose characters from any time period. I'm sorry, we can choose actors from any time period. We can choose performers from the modern day. We can choose performers from back in the day. We have a time machine and we are casting this story. John? Yes, James? Can I cast Muppets? No, James. Damn it! Okay, <laughs> there's already a Muppet Christmas Carol. Because I would have just so, picked everybody from a Muppet Christmas Carol. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers, <laughs> right. So, no, we're, we are going to be a totally new cast. We're going to be trying to pick people who haven't played these roles before, as far okay. as we know. And we may get it wrong because even though we're doing an entire podcast that's just about the subject, we don't have an encyclopedic knowledge. So, are you ready, James? As I'll ever be. All right. Generating a random number. And it has given me four. So let me take a look at my cast list and see. Oh, James. James. Oh, no. Number four on my list is one. Jacob Marley. Ooh. Okay. Jacob Marley may be dead on this podcast, but James and I are about to revive him. So we're going to give it a little bit of thought and figure out who is it that we want to play Jacob Marley in our version of A Christmas Carol. So we're each going to choose... And then we're each going to share our casting choice. All right. Let's give each other a little bit of time here, John. So can I get some nice, uh, appropriate elevator music to go right here while we think? Yeah, you got it. All right, John, you want me to go first or do you want to go first? James, take it away. This is all you. So when I think of a Jacob Marley, I think of a few things. I don't know if these are the right things to think of, but this is just what I have in my head when I visualize a Jacob Marley. Tall, skinny, mm-hmm. um, somewhat eccentric so they could pull off the afterlife feel. 
sure. but also somebody that you wouldn't mind having a uh, conversation with. And you need to have you need to have your long drawn out Marley scene. Okay, I'm considering the possibility of doing everything that's in the novella with this version. You sure. edit some stuff out for a movie, but they could do everything. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, my Jacob Marley. Is Jeff Goldblum. Ooh. Ooh. Jeff Goldblum is Jacob Marley, okay? I'm very into that. That's a very unconventional choice, but I'm very into it. Now, me- so are we talking like... Are we talking like Jeff Goldblum, who has kind of like almost become a meme of himself at this point? Jeff Goldblum? Like, is he... Is, is this... Like Marley coming in and like, uh, Scrooge, uh, I'm wearing the chain that I uh, forged in life. Uh, I made it link by link and uh, yard by yard. Like, is that is that what we're talking about? Or Well, we're not talking about shirtless Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum here, John. That's the one we're not talking about. We're talking modern times. Yes, he's a bit of a meme, but I think if you gave him the part, and I think you put the costume on and the chains and you could do some sort of flight suit type of thing here with him. I think he could really pull that off with especially modern special effects. But you got sure. but but he what he could do that I think a lot of other actors couldn't pull off. He could do the wrapping around the head and the little bunny ears thing and not make it look goofy because he's goofy enough as it is that it would just feel eerie and weird and off-putting and as it's supposed to he would make the scene creepy but the way he talks the way he holds himself you would follow all the exposition along with jeff goldblum as your jacob marley but that's just my opinion john that's just my opinion john who would you cast in your version of a christmas carol as jacob marley okay Okay, so I, I had gone back and forth between a couple of people. Um, my my first thought was I was thinking like kind of along like special effects lines, like someone who could really pull off kind of the ghostly eeriness of a Jacob Marley. And my first thought was Doug Jones. Ooh. Okay. Right, okay. Doug Jones. So for those of you who aren't familiar with him, Doug Jones is like best known for playing characters like. Um, um, he plays a lot of the characters in Pan's Labyrinth. He plays um, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. A lot of his roles involve putting on some kind of like a makeup effect because he's very tall and very skinny. I think he would be very cool and ghostly. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought about like performing this character, um, I actually landed on Paul Bettany. That name sounds familiar, John, but what's he been in? Well, it should sound familiar, James, because he's currently in a very successful show on Disney Plus called WandaVision. Ah, that is Paul Bettany. Okay. All right. Look, I'm not going to lie here, friends. Sometimes I know stuff. Sometimes I don't. I'm not great with actors' names. Way to take my MCU choice and uh, make me almost want to chuck it out the window. Paul Bettany is great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like he I feel like he could definitely bring across that kind of melancholy, ghostly energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he would play really well off of whoever your Scrooge is. Um, 
I went the, back and forth for a really long time between these two, but I think that that's the choice I'm going to go with. The one thing I'll definitely give you with your choice more than mine, and I think Jeff is capable of doing this, but what Paul I know can do is get sympathy. <laughs> and he can also show compassion for Scrooge, no matter how despicable you want to have Scrooge be before that, his eyes will really draw that out. And I think that's, that's that's a uh, that's a that's a good uh, Jacob Barley you got there, uh, John. That's a, that's a very nice uh, nice choice. Well, listeners at home, if you have any thoughts about who would play a great Jacob Marley, feel free to uh, tweet at us at uh, Marley is Dead Pod on Twitter. You can email us at Jacob Marley is Dead. You can follow our brand new page on Facebook. If you look up Jacob Marley is Dead, you'll find us on Facebook where we'll be posting links to all of our various episodes and james is there something that our listeners could do to support us well if you're listening on apple pod or apple music or any of those things from apple that you can get that uh, podcast on can you please leave us a five star five star five star five star five star review Woo! yeah uh thank you to ben devries for our theme and interstitial music thank you to you listeners for tuning in with us for yet another conversation about the same story i hope you're enjoying it all we're going to be signing out here so until next time as tiny tim observed god bless us everyone Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.